Hello, wonderful people. This is Jason English with Things About Things, simplifying concepts without sacrificing depth. Thanks for joining in for concept one, humanitarian aid. And I'm here with I'm here with Graham Aitken. Hey, Graham. Hey, Jason. I want to start with because I think you're an expert in this. I don't know if you'd say that. I but let's talk about Feels your generous. Yeah. Let's talk about your experience in humanitarian aid. Tell me what you've done and how you've done it and where you were. Yeah, so I think the the most sort of formal involvement that I've had with humanitarian aid was with Samaritan's Purse, which is a, a global NGO, Christian NGO engaged in, in that kind of work around the world. So I was with them for a number of years, both on the field in Congo and in Myanmar, and then serving here in Boone at, at their headquarters. So that would be kind of the, like I said, most most formal engagement of humanitarian aid. But I would say the the more the broader definition of humanitarian aid I've experienced in other contexts too. Uh, so within the academic environment, mm. at serving at Trinity and being part of a global education service learning mm. department there, and and taking teams out for various lengths of time to be engaged in in similar kind of work. That's so pretty cool. That means you've kind of been on the field, so to speak, but also been preparing people to go on the field and then taking them and kind of on both sides of it. Yeah, yeah, receiving people in and, and going out with people and seeing all the, the ups and downs of that for sure. And then also th this was a, a shorter amount of time, but was with Mercy Ships for a while too, mm -hmm. uh, which is primarily a, a medical organization, but again, an NGO serving in West Africa. So spent some time with them too in, in uh, Benin and Liberia. I'm going to go with... Yes, you're an expert. I mean, I know you'd just be like, well, I've done a few things, but I, I think you've, you've at least earned the right to answer this question, this next one with some authority, is <laughs> what is humanitarian aid? Yeah, it's, it's a biggie. Uh, I think you can take that in a, a few different directions, and it is important in conversations like this to be mm -hmm. specific about what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So for me, humanitarian aid or humanitarian first and foremost is a, a technical or professional designation. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the, the realm of relief and development type work, then humanitarian equals the relief phase of recovery from a, a natural disaster or some other episode that occurs. Uh, so humanitarian is that relief piece versus the more long-term ongoing development. Mm. So part of the answer is humanitarian means relief work, mm. uh, emergency response. But I think for a lot of people, humanitarian is any attempt to help those in need. You are a humanitarian if you're seeking to help those in need, in mm -hmm. which case um, that that is sort of a coverall for lots of different initiatives. Yeah. So. Loving human beings in yeah. general. Well, speaking of loving, hum loving human beings, Talk to me a little bit about the balance of relationship and aid, because the way I, I, I picture these moments being either total disaster that needs immediate response or something like that, where you have to, I, I would think there would be a temptation to say, I don't really have time to develop a relationship here because I have to get them the thing that they need. Do you ever feel that? Did you ever feel that tension? And how did you balance that? Yeah, you absolutely feel that tension, as you said, primarily in those relief contexts where it's all about getting 
supplies, materials, whatever it might be, food, water, shelter to people as, as quickly as possible. And it's mm -hmm. usually on a fairly large scale. So mm -hmm. at that point, it's easy to let the, the concept of relationship fly out the window. But again, definition feels important to me because if mm -hmm. by relationship you mean getting to spend lots of time one-on-one -on -one with a person, diving into who they are and their family history and background and all that kind of thing, that that's not going to be as possible in an urgent kind of environment like that, which is at scale as well, meaning mm. lots of people, hundreds of thousands of people often. You're not likely going to get that, though it can come up here and there. But if by relationship we mean listening to people well, mm -hmm. caring for people well, providing dignity in the midst of a chaotic situation, to me, that's absolutely possible. And if all of that goes out the window for the sake of efficiency or just prioritization, I mm -hmm. guess, then, then you're losing something. So to me, it's, it's still possible, even in the most chaotic of scenes, which I've been a part of, and I, I get the tensions there, mm -hmm. but even in the most chaotic of scenes, it's possible to see, look people in the eye, provide dignity in the way that you're interacting with them and speaking to them and the instructions that are given for whatever kind of distribution might be going on or whatever, listening well, those things are still possible. So mm -hmm. it won't be to the same depth as in your more long-term development kind of context, but it doesn't need to go completely out the window. Man, that word dignity, I feel like just stood out big time to me. Uh, let's talk about that more. What, do you, what did you mean when you said that? So I'm, I'm pausing because it's such, it's something that I feel deeply and that I have by no means done perfectly in terms of operating in that way or having that kind of posture and, and all the different kinds of work or efforts that I've been a part of. But it's, it's something that I hold deeply because I think it, it's back to sort of the very foundational element of what, what is Poverty is, is poverty, you know, as, as we describe it, we meaning Western nations, mm -hmm. America, American church, whatever. We describe it as in, in material terms. They right. don't have this. They don't have that. They don't have access to healthcare or education or whatever. And, and rightly so. Those things are central to the conversation. Mm -hmm. At the same time, typically, I, I don't want to be too general, but typically if you ask someone in the majority world or developing world, these, these countries that, that struggle more with poverty, they're defining it in terms of lack of voice, lack of dignity, lack of access, not, not so much to material things, but to the chance to better their lives or to, to live with hope and any of those kind of things. So that it, it's more relational in, in the way that they talk about it. So I, I think for me, that's where dignity comes in. Dignity mm. is, is recognizing um, what, what some of the true felt needs are and mm -hmm. trying to, to speak to that or try to keep that in mind in the way that you're designing your work. So it, we, we talked about this a little bit the other day too, that, that some of it is also offering them the same dignity and perspective that I would expect for myself. I, I know good. that I'm a complex yeah. being with positives and struggles and challenges and hopes and dreams and disappointments and all of that. I know that's true of me. And so why would I turn a 
person from an African country or Asian country that, that is more in that developing world context, why would I turn them into a one dimensional right. person? That's awesome. That's so good. That's, it's pretty basic about a reminder about loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. You know, that's good because we are so complex. And I think that a lot of Western Westerners that do any humanitarian work can be guilty of this paternal attitude of have and have not and we have this so then they need us and oh man that's so good so how does this intersect with faith and before you answer that i i I mean i believe that everything is an overflow of faith and you know i believe in god and i believe in jesus and i would like to think that everything I do and say is an overflow of that. It probably isn't all the time, but I would, I want it to be. And so I don't think that humanitarian aid is somehow different than a life of faith. So, but, but that being said, I guess it's an oversimplification of a question, but like how, where does faith come in to humanitarian aid to you? So the, the two biggest areas, I guess, that, that jump to mind, because you're right. And for me, it, it should, faith should integrate into every part of my life. And, and so that's true in, mm-hmm. in this context too. But the two biggest pieces that come to my mind are motivation. And then also hope, I guess, uh, I'll, I'll speak to that and unpack that a little bit. But mm-hmm. the motivation piece is my faith compels me to mm-hmm to respond to situations in the world that I know are not okay. And that's a, yeah. a really basic and, and simple way to talk about some of the systemic issues that are present in this country and present around the world. But, mm. you know, I was talking, having a conversation like this with someone the other day and just the very notion that an entire continent, meaning Africa, and again, mm-hmm. that's not that's not the only continent in the world where poverty exists or any of these issues exist. They're, they're on a global scale, mm-hmm. but Africa is what everybody thinks of when they think of mm-hmm. poverty, typically speaking, but just the notion that we have an entire continent that, um, is, is dealing with uh, some of these massive systemic issues is, is just crazy. And mm. I want to throw in a quick caveat there that I Mm -hmm. think is important and is missing from a lot of these conversations is that Africa is so much more than that too. Mm -hmm. The continent of Africa is a continent filled with ingenious people in so many different areas of of arts and culture and economics and higher education and all this kind of thing. And that's Mm -hmm. part of that dignity piece that we talked about Mm -hmm. before. They, they have to, the whole, all of it has to be talked about. We have to talk about the poverty that exists Mm -hmm. and and not being okay with that, which is the point I was making, but equally. So how much more any individual African country or, or any individual person is than that. So with that caveat, yeah. So my, my faith compels me to recognize these systemic injustices as not being okay. Mm. And I cannot close myself off from that and just be happy that me and my family and my friends are doing okay. Um, and, and not pay attention. So that's part of it. The other big piece where I feel like my faith comes in this, this hope word is that it is really hard. This is your obvious comment for the day. It is so hard to engage this kind of work because you Mm. face 
hard things day in and day out. And, and the fact that there's sort of this stereotype out there of your embittered humanitarian aid expert who's been in it for 30 years and is just a harsh mm -hmm. sort of know-it-all mean-spirited kind of person number one let's be careful with stereotypes but number two it's mm -hmm. there for a reason because with without faith without hope to face these situations on an individual level and a, a countrywide level and a global level it is an overwhelming thing and it just stands to reason that bitterness seeps in or, or other issues seep in if you're facing that day in and day out without a faith foundation from my point of view so my faith is what allows me to keep coming at these different tough areas with with a lot of hope yeah i wanted to talk about aid without faith and then as and also talk about faith without aid and you already touched on some of this um, and I, I guess I should let anyone who's listening to this know, if they don't know, that, that you and I work together in a church, in a faith community. And so your role in a relational care, pastoral role, I think has, you have the perfect foundation where normally I don't think, I, I haven't seen too many transitions from humanitarian aid into local church ministry directly. But I think that if humans are humans, the idea of, trying to care well for people. I think it, it makes a lot of sense, but so aid without faith might lead to hopelessness or not having the right kind of hope. How would you say that? What, what does aid without faith look like? I think some of it, again, I want to, I want to acknowledge that this is a complex thing. There mm -hmm. are many, many, really dedicated, brilliant people working in humanitarian aid who don't have faith of any kind, whether it's Christian faith or mm -hmm. otherwise, and they do really good work that, mm -hmm. that is life-changing for people. Yeah. But for me, I think the, I think the faith piece again is ultimately my belief is that none of these humanitarian efforts, whether it's, the most brilliant researched heavily researched and and studied and then implemented project that you know for whatever reason just takes off and is mm -hmm. hugely successful in whatever sector you're talking about sector meaning the food sector or water sector or you know emergency distributions that we've talked about with the really, what whatever it is whatever yeah. program you're implementing without faith you have to believe that there's a there's an idea out there that's going to change the world change poverty, you know, turn everything on its head. If, if we can just come up with the right solution, the right idea. Mm. And I don't believe that. I don't mm. believe that the UN or anybody else is going to land on the perfect sustainable development goal. You know, these SDGs is kind of some of that language of, of humanitarian aid. I don't believe that there's a perfect approach to SDGs out there or whatever else that's going to save it. I believe that God is making all things new. Mm. And we, that doesn't mean that you throw those programming pieces out the window, of course not. I've, I've dedicated my life to that at different times and I believe in it and I believe that there are brilliant ideas and that God is working through that. But ultimately for me, the, the source of setting things right, if we recognize that the state of poverty globally or some of these injustices that, that we're mentioning, if we believe that that's not okay, 
then we want to move towards setting things right. And my faith for me says God is setting all things right and he's working through some of these pieces mm. and I'm grateful to be part of that. But he is the solution. These, mm -hmm. these projects are not the solution at the end of the day. Wow. So let's flip it. What is faith without aid? What does that look like? Or I guess another way of asking it would be kind of what, what is the responsibility of the church in this or believers in Jesus or people of faith. You could zoom it out more into that if you'd like, but mm. can you have, can you have proper faith without aid or what is faith without aid? So let me ask you yeah. what you think of when you say the word aid. Cause I think, Oh yeah. yeah. I'd be interested in knowing what kind of your, what the most typical understanding of that word out there is. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the safe zoom zoomed out too much answer would just be helping and serving people. But I don't think that that's fair. I think that's a cop out. I, I, if I was really going to try to answer that, I'd say engaging in active service among the poor is probably how I, I'd something like that, because I think it's, I think it's valid to say I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, which means if my neighbors and this thought has occurred to me and this has happened where, well, if they're on vacation and their yard gets, their grass gets higher then I'll mow it or something like a literal love my neighbor. And that does matter. And that I think has a lot, it builds relationship between me and my neighbor. And I think it does something in my own heart, but that, that I don't think that that's a, fair answer to say what aid truly is. I think it's among oppressed people, um, marginalized people, among people in poverty, something in that kind of category. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. And I, I think that would be a fair representation of, mm -hmm. of kind of what comes to, to people's mind when they think about aid, that it is in some of those poverty more oppressive type context and and there's a scale to it too you know you're you're giving the example of your neighbor mm -hmm. need, needing their mo their lawn mode and those those acts of service are are so important and they mm -hmm. they do something in us like you were saying but i think a to me also is is on a large scale meaning number of people and also just the the types of mm -hmm. concerns that are out there i i think we've kind of professionalized mm. aid we've we've turned it into yeah. an industry and mm -hmm. it is an industry i think there's positives to that i think one of the downsides to that is that it's easier now for your average churchgoer in the states or wherever to think well that's what those people do who are deliberately choosing to be part of that industry right my responsibility then is relegated to maybe giving some money towards that, mm -hmm. but not really thinking intentionally about what my individual responsibility is. So I think part of it is reading, you know, so, so as, as Christians, as Christ followers, the Bible obviously is, is central to that. And, and we believe that there's significance to, to what's written in the Bible. And so with, with that premise, there's so much in there about mm -hmm. our responsibility to the mm -hmm. poor about what it looks like, you know, even in, in one of the books of the Bible, Isaiah, 
in 58, chapter 58, it talks about what true faith is and what, what it looks like to be concerned about injustice and what it looks like to, to mm. be engaged in situations of oppression and all of that. The fact that that kind of language is in there is, is amazing to me and, and shows mm-hmm. its importance. So I, I think, I think we do have a responsibility within the faith community, within churches to, to have a response of some kind. I think education is a big part of that. You, you don't mm-hmm. know what you don't know. And so right. I, my life has been changed by books that I've read, not just by Western authors, but by being really intentional about hearing from African authors, Zambian and Ugandan and other, other authors who I think have, have incredibly important voices and, and again, around the world as well. So part of it is education and, and being aware of just how many mm-hmm. broken systems or broken yeah. realities there are out there. So with this podcast, we're trying to get down to some simplified concept here. And I think you just, where I wanted to head with this, I think you just answered part of it is what do we, what does a normal person like me do where I'm not a professional humanitarian aid worker? Uh, I think it is helpful for me to be giving my money if I'm honest, when I go on trips, I don't feel like I'm being very helpful with the exception of maybe what's happening within myself, which I think does matter. You mentioned reading books. Would it be beneficial for regular people like me that are not humanitarian aid workers professionally to read those books? And if so, why, what would it accomplish? if I'm not going to become a professional humanitarian aid worker? I think it accomplishes an awareness Mm -hmm. that if my experience and and my history is, is anything to go by, it accomplishes an awareness that then has to impact your life. You you can't, Mm -hmm. you can't, have your eyes open to certain realities and then just lay that down. It doesn't feel possible to me. And so yeah, as you become more aware, then, then you start to know what even are the right questions to ask. You know, there's Mm -hmm. so often like life is busy and chaotic and people have busy schedules and work is taxing and home life is taxing. And I, I get that. I experienced those realities as well. And so it's easy to just get caught up and be in a bit of autopilot and feel like you don't have the space to really engage some of these mm-hmm. big issues that we're talking about. But I think just the simple setting aside of some time to, to read and become aware is important. And I think on a very simple level, I think that can change some of the practices in our life, some of our purchasing practices, some of uh-huh. our, some of our, um, what we give our money to, cause like you yeah. said, that's important. And even, I won't get into this cause it's a whole podcast unto itself, but the whole notion of trips and what kind of trips we take. Let's or do another take. one about that. For yeah. Sure. I think it's important cause I think it can be really good both like you said and what it accomplishes in people's lives, the people who are going, but I think it can be really good for host communities as well, but it has to be done in, in the right way. But we're talking about kind mm. of what's become known as mission trips. Equally important for consideration is how you travel and how are you engaged in tourism and what what are you supporting or not supporting that will change as you become more aware so yeah it it become more aware and then allow yourself to think through how that should affect these pieces that are already part of your life you are already traveling you are already buying you are already whatever 
Yeah, it's interesting. I can see a lot of change in my life over the last 20 years or so of doing travel and being a guy who grew up as a kind of generic American. Yeah, I had overlap with other cultures within the town that I was as a kid, but traveling around the world to different countries and seeing not just the obvious differences, but noticing when you really try to see people for who they really are, see some of these differences that actually teach me about what it means to be a human being and learning about how to be a, a more full version of who I am. And so let me ask you this, when did you, when did you first, do you remember a moment in your life or a few moments in your life where you were like, I've got to engage in this? when it kind of first hit? Yeah, I, I really, so, so I have, I have sort of international in my history, if you like. And, and so being born and grew up in Scotland and in the UK and then moved to the States in, in junior high. And so there's, there's always this been this kind of element of, you know, knowing that there's, there's sort of a world out there beyond any one individual. Now country. being, being Scottish, uh -oh. did you think of, Move into the U.S. as humanitarian aid. <laughs> <laughs> in so many ways. No, I I think uh, I'll leave. I, I came because my parents came. That, yeah, that's yeah. that's on them. Uh, but no, I, I so there's there's that international piece. But but as far as you know, poverty or systemic injustices or any of that, I mm -hmm. paid absolutely no attention to any of that until I was graduating out of college. Yeah, yeah. and and even then for very selfish reasons join you know, I mentioned mercy ships and it was a friend of mine, Nate, who had done all this research because he was a pre-med student and talked all about mercy ships for a year. And long story short, he didn't go. And I did go, I applied mm. and went for, for an adventure. Really. It was, yeah. it was kind of a pretty selfish motivation, but it was that experience. So I, I went for six months, came home for the summer and went back again. But the, the process of, of those six months encountering true poverty for the first time, living with a family in poverty, mm -hmm. I, I can't think necessarily of one aha moment that, that really changed everything. But I know that it was that six month process that just turned everything upside down. All right. So as we come to a close, this is a big question. They've but all been big questions. They really have. <laughs> Uh, so based on your experiences, what are some things that you've learned about people? So you can answer that however you want, but some things you've learned about people, about human beings. Yeah, that is a big one. So I'll say what comes into my mind mm -hmm. first, because maybe that demonstrates what matters to me most. Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned that we need each other, which sounds so kind of romanticized or mm -hmm. maybe kind of a hokey thing to say, but we do need each other. We need right. to learn from each other. We need to support one another, whether that's your, your next door neighbor here mm -hmm. or a person a thousand miles away and more. We, we need to be with each other in that because yeah turns out life can be pretty hard whether you're in in sort of a 
country in Africa that does have these systemic issues and poverty's all around you, or whether you're you're caught up in drug addiction in Philly, which is more and more of an issue that I'm reading about, which is also close to my heart, having spent time in Philadelphia. Mm. But no, no matter the circumstance, we need to be present with each other in it and, and allow God to work through that. Um, I've learned a whole lot about resiliency and the resiliency that, that people have, that, it, that the human being is capable of. Mm. Um, probably, I'm mostly thinking of Congo when I say that, because um, those are people who have lived for 25, 30 plus years with war, essentially, at least conflict of different kinds, and, and just lived in that. That's the reality for generations and, and the way that they still, yeah, get up each morning and put one foot in front of the other and do family together and life together and they work and, mm-hmm. they, you know, all the, these pieces that make up life, they're doing that in the midst of conflict. Yeah. And uh, that, that resiliency is incredible and humbling and I, I've learned a lot from it. Um, and I, I think there, it, it is amazing to me, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but it is amazing to me, the human capacity for hope. We, we, we have a, uh, a deeply held thing. I don't know what to call it, but something within us that searches for that. There's a a longing for that. And I think no matter the circumstance that impulse is there. And I think that is hugely powerful for, for continuing to, yeah, move forward together. When you said, we need each other. I, I resonate with that big time. I believe that. But give me an example. I keep bringing harder and harder questions for you, but give me an example of how you need someone from Congo. Or what's it? I'm supposed to say, call it something. What is it called again? You mean the DRC? The DRC. Sorry. Yeah, that, that probably would have been a helpful. There's, there's someone out there listening like, well, which one is it? Is it Congo yeah. Brazzaville or Congo <laughs> right. There's your answer. It's DRC. I, I fall foul of calling that Congo. Anyway, what was your question? You said we need each other. Yep. Give, it a, give me an example of how you need someone from DRC. Um, you can give it a specific, like a person, an example of a relationship you had when you lived there or something. Cause it's easy. I, I feel like for me and for a lot of people listening it would, well, it's easy to think about how they would need you. You're bringing them aid. Mm-hmm. How do you need them? So I think the easiest way for me to answer that question is to tell you about Elliot, who was the HR manager in the Samaritan's Purse Congo office when mm-hmm. I was serving as deputy country director there. So I, I worked directly with Elliot in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need him because he demonstrates humility for me in, in a way mm-hmm. that I've never experienced um, yeah. in terms of just how how accomplished he is in terms of education and, and what he's been able to do work-wise and communities that he served and all that kind of thing, just crazy accomplished and yet has deference to 
everyone that, that he works with in a, a really healthy way. But, but he, he taught me about humility. He taught me about, mm-hmm. you know, this, this thing that I mentioned in terms of Congolese people growing up with conflict for, for generations, the, what it looks like to have faith in the midst of that, what it looks like to have hope in the midst of that, what it looks like to find joy in the midst of that. And yeah. these, even as I say these, I'm like, man, this sounds like what you're supposed to say. Oh, you know, those, mm-hmm. those people have it so hard, but there's hope and joy, but, but there's also truth to it. There's, there's yeah. truth to the fact that, um, joy can be a, a discipline and, and yeah. And, and I saw that. And so I think what I can learn about, God and faith and, and being a, a, yeah, a person who cares deeply for others, even when it costs them something. And, um, yeah, learned, learned a ton from him and, and from others in the office too. So I, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know how to answer it better than that. I, I love I think, that. I, I think yeah. most of the, be- the best things in life you can, you're, you're going to think of a specific person. And an, mm-hmm. an interaction, a relationship with a person and what you learned and one thing that you gleaned and it went inside of you and became part of the way you think. And it sounds like the humility of Elliot is pretty significant in the formation of you. Yeah. And that matters, right? And not to discredit aid and the benefit of the people that you and Elliot were trying to benefit physically. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something that deeply matters about the posture of your own heart going more towards humility. It makes you more whole version of you. Mm-hmm. And that is a good thing mm-hmm. for you and the, world, the whole world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even, on, even on sort of a simpler level, once you step outside of your culture and are surrounded by people who are no longer part of your culture... They're going to ask questions that you don't even know to ask about what's go. going yeah. on in your country. And yeah. that, that automatically is a learning process. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap it up with this. This is, uh, you know, as we attempt to simplify this concept, we've, we've gone in the weeds here. Give us uh, something to do after, we, after this is over. We stop listening. It fades out whether it's based on natural disaster, war, oppression, systematic oppression, poverty, whatever, this fades out in a minute or two. Do we read a book? If so, what book is it? Are we supposed to go to a website? If so, what website is it? What do we do when we stop listening to this podcast? Again, just a, an easy one. Um, so yes, read, read a book. Um, what book should you read? Yeah. Yeah, you got one or two that have been the most formative in your life that you can think of. Yeah, so I, I think it, it's it can be hard to to narrow that down because there's so many good resources out there. But guiding principles, I would say, look for people who are leading 
in this realm. So for me, I'm looking at all these organizations that I'm familiar with, whether it's, you know, the UN and UN agencies yeah. or for those in the faith community, again, they'd be familiar, more familiar with like a world vision mm-hmm. or world relief or food for the hungry or whatever. For me, I look for those leaders and I see what books they've written and I dig into those books because they've figured something out that I haven't yet. And go. so yeah. Whole in Our Gospel is, is one of the more famous ones by the, the president of World Vision. There's Whole some, in Our Gospel? Whole in Our Gospel, okay. yeah. It's been on my Amazon wish list for like a year. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> See, that's, that's your take. That's called uh, pretending to be engaged in the world <laughs> of humanitarian aid. Oh, yeah, that's on my Amazon wish list. I feel good about that. So, I feel yeah. good about that decision to have it on my wish list. <laughs> Uh, yep, it's good. I love The Locust Effect by Gary Haugen, Hagen, however you say his name, who heads up uh, the International Justice Mission, mm-hmm. IGM in, in DC. He has some brilliant things to say, and he, he has other books as well. So look for leaders yeah. and read their books. Right. Um, or put them on your wish list. Or put them on your wish list and pretend yeah. to make yourself feel It's a better. step. It's a step. <laughs> Is it a step? <laughs> Um, that and reading, I know like it sounds so easy to say, but books will change your life if if you take your time, take the time to to read it. Um, would you recommend that people donate money to humanitarian organizations? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. hundred percent. We have to be doing that, but do it intelligently. Yeah. So take a little time to, to research what you're giving to or, or how they, you know, talk to people who are working in yeah, those yeah. organizations, those contexts and, and give intelligently, but hundred percent, we got to give. So that's another takeaway. Mm-hmm. Another thing I think of is, is like, um, just, just, oh gosh, this is easy to say and so much harder to do. But for me, I've tried to pay attention to what am I good at? What am I passionate about? What gifts do I have? And then how do I think about that in light of some of these global issues that we're talking about? Right. What what fits there and, and what doesn't? Because not everybody is going to become a humanitarian, humanitarian aid professional. I get mm-hmm. that. That's okay. But the people who are particularly gifted in some of those areas should. So mm. think about think about what your ability as your passions are and look at those in light of some of what we're talking about. So it sounds like you're saying someone listening might want to consider whether they should become a humanitarian aid professional. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe 20 people. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. Well, man, thanks so much for your expertise and let's definitely do another one on trips, short term, long term, everything in between, uh, the, I guess the pros and cons of that. Yeah. Well, uh, and while we're talking about other sessions, yeah. I think I think you could do a whole other session on what that that dignity piece that we're talking about, and practically what it looks like to not just not just humanitarian aid, but but kind of I guess service that doesn't feel like the best term, but just what it looks like to engage in a way that that dignifies people. Anyway, I love it, man. Let's do that. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to Concept One. So this is the first one, even though there was a first one before this one, which was Concept Zero. That's all right. Yeah. So Concept One on humanitarian aid with what I would consider the expert, an expert, Graham Aitken, and we'll we'll do it again another time or two or three. Uh, thanks, man, for your time. Thank you. Uh, so everybody, if you want to go to thingsaboutthings.com, you can find more things. Thanks for joining in.